This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? <laughs> Expecto Patronum! BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And we've said it a couple of times this year already, maybe more than that even. It's been a very good year for movies. It's been a great year for films. Uh, it's been a great year for films made by filmmakers who have really made their name and mark. And we're very excited to talk about the formerly retired then came out of retirement, Hayao Miyazaki, and his latest film from Studio Ghibli, of course, The Boy and the Heron. Constant retirer, I think is more accurate. This is like the third <laughs> return from retirement. Um, you no know, complaints, I, uh, though. No complaints no at complaints, all. May no he complaints. live forever and continue making films. But, um, you know, I actually have only, this is only my second Miyazaki in the cinema because The Wind Rises was actually my first. And before that, all of the stuff I've watched by him have been um, on DVD or whatever. Spirited and Away I'm, was my first. Oh, oh, lucky. Mm. No, because I was so glad when the movie popped up on the big screen uh, because of how gorgeous it was and what a treat it is to watch a Miyazaki film in the in, in the big screen. And this was such a beautiful film, like visually, yes, but also just thematically, the story it tells. Um, it was everything I could, everything I usually want from a Miyazaki movie. So I, I've said before that I'm a Studio Ghibli noob. Um, I've only seen Spirited Away. And even that was because of you guys, like thanks to you guys. Um, you recommended the movie to me and I saw it over the pandemic. Um, but watching this in the cinema made me realize that I've been missing out on a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and watching this made me want to go and, and watch all the heavyweights and the, the big, the famous ones and, and catch up on um, on the Studio Ghibli sort of resume, you know. And, and this is one of the most beautiful movies I've seen this year. Um, and I'm just glad that they showed it to us like undubbed in the cinema, like on the big screen. We were able to see it with like, uh, you know, big screen, big speakers, big sound. It would have been nice to have this in IMAX. That's my only complaint. Um, but I will take what I can get. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. I had a moment, I had a chill of fear as um, the lights dimmed and I realized I had not actually thought to check whether or not this was the dubbed version. Oh, I just, same. Same, right? same. I was because, like, oh my God, am I getting Robert Pattinson? Which would be what cool. Which would be cool. I mean, I've heard his version of The Heron and it's it sounds pretty good. But I'm not in the business of going into the cinema for a Miyazaki movie and expecting, you know, English Christian Bale <laughs> like popping out. It's just, yeah. just not what I'm here for. Um, So The Boy and the Heron is a, is a story of a young boy, um, Mahito, 
who loses his mother right at the start of the movie in a fire. It's set in wartime Japan and the rest of the movie really is about him coping with the loss of his mother, um, him moving to a new town, dealing with the fact that his father appears to have moved on in a big way, is trying to replace his mother and then he finds an abandoned tower, he's being stalked by a mysterious heron who appears to be talking to him and then the rest of the movie really unfolds from there. Lots of parallels with Spirited Away, right? Because it, it really does have to do with a um, a child at the cusp of a huge change or rather having gone through a huge change. Not by not choice. Quite, not by choice. Not mm. having control over the choices and the world of adults around them. So I, I a lot of those parallels were really interesting to watch. But I think um, where this differs, of course, I mean, the fact that this is a boy and there's a particular space that a, a boy of his age would be occupying in Japan at that time. It was in the midst of World War Two, And so there's lots going on in this movie. And um, I I felt like the, the, the big emotions, the big feelings that you might expect from a story like this, a story of grief, um, quite predictably, I think Miyazaki underplays them. And I think that works to the advantage of the film because it's not about grief, capital G. It's more about grief, but also just life and how to keep on living. And yeah, I don't know. I'm still processing so much of what I watched and uh, the visuals often come to me in my mind and start sort of rooting in and giving me ideas when I least expect it. It, the movie deals a lot with grief, but at the same time, for a movie that deals with grief, it's never mopey and it's never like doom and gloom and the vibe is never like depressing. You know, it's like the colors are, are so they pop um, and the movie looks beautiful. And if you saw like maybe stills of the film, right, you wouldn't know that it's a movie that's dealing with something very heavy uh, or dealing with tragedy or someone who's coping with the tragedy. Um, I, I saw this comment on YouTube that said, and I love this comment, uh, it said that the movie is planting nostalgia bombs for future generations. Um, and I like that because I've never seen anyone capture the feeling of nostalgia like this. Um, I felt the same way for Spirited Away. And I thought that's maybe because it was an old movie by the time I had seen it. But this had the same vibe. Like, I don't know if it's the music or the 2D hand-drawn animation um, or if it sounds like something on TV in the afternoon, like an after-school uh, show. But this movie has such a signature feel, like it captures nostalgia. I, I don't know how else to say it. I'm appreciative of the lack of explanation um, because I think that there are several big moments that can happen. Um, when a child loses his mom in a really violent and sudden way, there's so many ways to make that dramatic. You know, there's so many ways to make that earth shattering, life changing. But the way it's done here is it's quiet. The way things actually happen, which is when something really does occur that changes your life in a huge way the world doesn't end. It somehow just goes on and you just have to go on with it. And I, I think that there's something about the quality of the movie um, because it's quite dark, right, in terms of themes. Uh, Mahito does things and feels things and reacts to people in ways that are really dark and deeply felt. And, you know, uh, I think anybody who remembers their childhood or even if you don't remember your childhood, this movie will make you remember your childhood, um, will understand where he's coming from, why he feels the need to do what he does. But all of it is done in a very typically quiet, understated way, which I really loved. 
So it helped me to know that the Japanese version of the movie is called How Will You Live, uh, which is also the name of a book that Mahito's mom leaves him. Um, and, and I think it's that a very famous of, book. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a classic uh, of Japanese literature. And uh, that kind of informed informs the story, really, because it is about carrying on. It is about making a life. It is about finding out what you might do in situations, right? Um, but actually, as you said, Lynn, um, halfway through the movie, I accepted that I may never understand some of the things this movie is showing me and that's okay because some of this is very trippy. Some of it is very like dreamscape and and odd and weird and that's okay. And I think in a, in a time when like especially animation has become a little bit too prescriptive and everything is kind of like, oh, everything needs to be tied up in a neat bow. Things can't be left to feel uncomfortable. I think it's nice to have stories like this that aren't there to make you feel comfortable. They're just there to make you feel something. I, I think I had like at the same halfway point is when I gave up trying to understand the story and I and I figured out that maybe the story doesn't make sense because there's a lot of there's a lot of time jumps and there's a lot of jumps in even like logic or the chronology of the thing and you don't know if something's happening in someone's dream or if it's actually happening in real life um, and you don't know because there are dream sequences in the movie and dream sequences within the dream. So you 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 are really like not sure what you're looking at or, or, or what is happening, right? Um, and at that point, I'm like, okay, so this is like a, like a trippy, vibey, dream logic, Alice in Wonderland sort of thing. Um, a lot of people have said that this is um, Hayao Miyazaki's sort of life story and, and him dealing with the inevitable end of his career or, or, or life or in, in general, right? The end in general. Um, so I'm like, okay, so it's a, it's a sort of like mental trip and someone processing something and putting it out through art. So I'll just take it as that. I, I don't know if the... I don't know if the story actually has any importance. And I say that in the best way. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I Okay, I think we can come back to that because I do have a lot of thoughts about the, the whole notion of the Alice in Wonderlandness of it all, as well as the logic leaps. But we are talking today about The Boy and the Heron, um, which is a film that's written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Let us know. Have you watched it yet? in the cinemas. Screenings were a little bit tight, actually, so I hope that a lot of you did manage to. Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Buggy Free Minum. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. <laughs> BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And together we are reviewing Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli's The Boy and the Heron. So, um, so should we start talking about Joe Hisaishi first or do we want to continue talking about the dream logic? Which which should we do? I think let's let's fangirl, fanboy over the music for a yes, bit and yes. then we can return. 
Because we mean, just heard it. We just heard it. Um, it's also a frequent collaborator. He's done a lot of Ghibli scores. And my God, it was lovely. It was spare and lovely and dreamy and just the best. I love the music so much. I love it when the music is so off a piece with the story that you often don't even realise what it's doing. Because there are some points when he's in this world and the music is doing so much, but you don't even... You almost are not hearing it because you feel like the music is leading you into the world. Leading you into the world and then there are so many scenes that don't have music at all and you're just hearing like the the wind or the grass or, or, you know, the surroundings. But that's what I mean, right? It's like the music, there's so many elements of like horror and like, Stuff with the, sorry about the thunder. Uh, it's actually kind of the, apropos. It, it is, it <laughs> yeah. is. Um, but you know, stuff that uh, deals with the, the supernatural, quote unquote, or you know, stuff that that's dealing with with basic horror elements. Um, and the music could have been a lot creepier and a lot gloomier than it was. But it's a very peaceful, uplifting sort of score, which I really appreciated. It's that that blend of the two should not work together, but they work together so well. It's like um, it becomes like a sort of like pure, genuine fantasy in a, in a way. So that brings us back then to the way the story works, because I, I, feel, I feel bad leaving that point um, because the whole movie transitions rapidly from space to space. So it begins in, um, like we said, mid-war Japan, um, it, there are scenes in Tokyo, but there are also scenes in a smaller town when they move to the countryside. Um, the house is also this very particular blend of Western and Japanese. There's a mysterious tower. There are ghost stories. And then there's also a whole separate thing where they're in another world. And then it's the inception thing, like the dream within a dream within a dream starts to occur. And I have to say that I grew more comfortable with the movie once we went into the other world. Because as long as we were in the real world, so so to speak, um, there was something about the, where are we? Are you awake or are you dreaming? Are you hallucinating or are you not? Is this your feeling or is it happening? Um, that I couldn't quite get behind. But once we went into the world where... Guys, there are so many birds. There's just so many birds. <laughs> and um, there's so many birds. There's so many weird little soul bubbles. There are so many weird fishes. Um, it's that sort of very classic, fantastical Miyazaki Ghibli world. Then I grew more comfortable because I thought, okay, we're back. We're back. It's, you know, programming as usual. Actually, if you recognize the Miyazaki fingerprints, you'll see the, you know, the the really cute, the waru-waru, is that what they're called? Wara, the really, wara-wara? Yeah, wara, I think wara. so. Yeah. Wara, wara, yeah. The really cute puffball type creatures alongside the really grotesque, oh my God, I cannot deal with human teeth coming out of a bird beak. I really cannot. The nose. Really long the nose. Yeah. I had to I had to turn away from the screen or a scene where like frogs engulf a human no i cannot like like the grotesquerie of some of the stuff on this was awful and great um and i love i love how he doesn't pull back right you you have these like wild imagery and you're never quite sure whether they're real they're not and then at some point it doesn't really matter anymore um it, it's just, I think even if the story doesn't work for you and you're ultimately left going, well, what was that all about? You can't help but be so interested by the visual aspect of the story he's telling. And, and I love that it follows the, the super classic um, fantasy template. 
of uh, like a, a very important character will show up like an hour and a half into the movie <laughs> and will show up for like five minutes and it'll be like that's my favorite character and i want to see more of them but that's all you'll get like they'll, they'll show up like towards the third act of the film and do something super important and you'll be like why wasn't this this character established in the beginning and then you realize that it's just a different template of, of storytelling line it's a it's a old school fantasy way of storytelling um i like that i like that a lot because you don't like the movie doesn't establish itself in the first twenty minutes, like a lot of movies do, right? Um, it doesn't tell you exactly where or what it's about, and then you learn like it literally unfolds as you go along, and you're you're never really sure how it's going to unfold or what kind of thing is going to show up. Um, and I love the element of of surprise, lah. I am so appreciative of. Um, how satisfying the movie is actually because I think it could very easily considering how not vague but understated and um, not over explainy it, it could so easily have left us feeling dissatisfied um, you know it could so easily have left us feeling like well I mean that was beautiful to watch and it was a great movie experience but what has it all been about but the the logic that we keep talking about coalesces at the end into such an emotionally satisfying finale that it makes the whole it makes the whole make sense actually and then you're allowed to really appreciate all the things that you've been appreciating throughout the movie in other words how beautiful the animation is how beautiful the music is the fact that there are scenes in daylight and moonlight and just these moments where you think i want to go to there i want to be there in that world it made me appreciate hand-drawn 2D animation so, so much. There's there's a scene, something as simple as him, a footprint in mud, and then the way it lingers, right? Or he touches a, 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 a surface and it's got 20 different colours sparkling beneath it. Sharmila, going to the toilet is beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's and, crazy. And I'm just like, the kind of labour and thought and imagination that went into this, um, it made me really miss a particular kind of movie-going experience, which we really don't get very much anymore. And what I love most about that is that there's always this question, right, of, of why do it this way? Um, Stop-motion animation, why? Like, hand-drawn animation, why? Um, because not only is it difficult, but it also doesn't make as much money as the 3D Pixar-style um, animated movies. So it's nice to see that this movie is breaking box office records worldwide. Um, packed halls, like my screening in the afternoon was full, you know, full hall. Um, 100 million US worldwide already so far, um, which is a massive number for something that is 2D animated and drawn in like a classic way. So it's nice to see that as much as people appreciate the movie, it's also, it is also a box office success and not like a, like a super niche like thing that people watch, like a, like a arty thing that people do, you know? I, I want to rewatch this as soon as possible. I'm glad that a part of this whole deal was that there would be streaming, um, not just for Boy in the Heron, but of course for all the previous Studio Ghiblis. It's why we've seen them make their way to streaming. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it again, but I really urge people to not wait for it to come out on the small screen. I think if you, if you love movies, I wouldn't say even if you love Studio Ghibli, but if you consider yourself someone who enjoys films, movies, I really would... A, watch it in the big on the big screen, and mm -hmm. B, find the biggest screen you can because some of the small halls aren't going to cut it. I think. No, and this I'm so glad that the year ended with this because it has been not just a great movie year, like you said, it's been a great cinema going year. Um, and Boy and the Heron is absolutely worth watching in a large screen. 
Hundred percent, big screen. Um, also, I want to watch. I want to watch the dub version whenever I can Me get too, my hands actually. on it. Me too. Actually, I've been trying to, to look up version. on YouTube just to see because the voice cast: Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson. Come Willem, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a great cast. Florence Pugh is there. Like, it is a very good cast. I just <laughs> did not want. I think we all felt the same way. Our first viewing of the Boy and the Heron to be in English. That's I all it is. I cannot deal. I cannot deal with the dub version, even when it's Christian Bale doing Howl. I can. No, no, has to be the original. Christian Bale's the dad, by the way, in this oh, one yeah, as well. So, yeah, so he's just all over. <laughs> um, we've been talking about the boy and the heron. Let us know if you've watched it, if you plan to. What did you think? How did it make you feel? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.